Thank you for listening to Franklin City Church's Sermon Podcast. For more information on Franklin City Church, please check us out at www.franklincitychurch.com. All right. Well, good morning, church. If you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, verse 35 is where we're going to be at this morning as we are continuing our series preaching through the book of Mark. And uh, we're also kind of picking up where we left off last week. We were were left hanging a little bit in the middle of a story to see how this was all going to conclude. And you'll remember that we are in the middle of a group of stories about Jesus in the book of Mark that some people have called the St. Jude chapter, the St. Jude chapter. And the reason it's been called this is because in Roman Catholicism, St. Jude is the patron saint of hopeless causes, hopeless causes. And so we've been looking at a few stories that seem hopeless at first until Jesus shows up. And so you'll remember that we saw the disciples, they were out on the Sea of Galilee with Jesus and a great storm arose, the wind and the waves came crashing down on them, the boat was filling up with water to the point that the disciples thought they were about to drown. And they said, Jesus, don't you care that we are about to die? All hope had been lost until Jesus spoke And he calmed the wind and the waves, and he demonstrated his power and authority over creation, over the wind and the waves, and calmed the storm. And then they arrive on land, and they get out, and they come into contact then with a man who has been possessed by a demon, and not just one demon, but a whole legion of demons. And this guy was out of his mind. He was running around. He, uh, no one could, could chain him or shackle him. He was crying out in misery. He was away, isolated from the community. He was harming himself, cutting himself. He was possessed by evil, and no one could constrain him. Nothing was strong enough to restrain the evil that possessed him until, until Jesus showed up. And this hopeless cause that people had given up on was not so hopeless when Jesus spoke. And by the power of his word, he demonstrated his power and authority over evil and cast out the demons and restored this man. And this man then becomes a missionary that Jesus sends to his friends and family to go tell them all that the Lord had done for him. And then last week, we were introduced to one of the rulers of the synagogue, and his name was Jairus. And, and he, this is the story that we are concluding this morning. And Jairus, he was one of the rulers of the synagogue, so he was a, a well-respected, well-thought-of man, but he comes in desperation to Jesus. He comes and falls at the feet of Jesus and begs him to come heal his 12-year-old daughter, who is very, very ill. Hope was almost lost, but if he could just get Jesus to her in time, she maybe had a chance of being healed. And so Jesus agrees to go with him, but then as they're going, a woman who has been sick for 12 years pushes her way through the crowd to try to get to Jesus because she believes that if she can just touch just his clothing, just the hem of his garment, she believes that she will be healed. And this woman, she was also in a hopeless situation. She had spent all of her money on on the medical care that she could get, and for 12 years, no one and nothing could heal her of her illness. And not only was she physically ill, but then, remember, according to the ceremonial laws, she was unclean, so she was to be isolated from community. And so for 12 years, she had been isolated from being able to worship with God's people and from being in community. She was a hopeless cause. But then what happens 
when she touches Jesus. She doesn't spread her uncleanness to him like you would think would happen, but no, the power of Jesus, the the cleanness of Jesus, the holiness of Jesus, the purity of God in the flesh, it spreads to her and makes her clean. And then Jesus, instead of calling her unclean, he calls her daughter. And he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. I hope you are starting to see that hopeless causes, seemingly hopeless causes, are not so hopeless when Jesus shows up. And when we struggle, when we feel hopeless, remember, remember, we talked about this last week, it's not primarily that we have a hope problem, it's that we primarily have a faith problem. The hope of a Christian arises from the faith that God has given us as a gift. And it is this gift from God that needs to be strengthened, needs to be cultivated, needs to be worked out. But this morning we conclude this story of a desperate father begging Jesus to come heal his daughter. And the phrase from our passage that that really kind of I want us to focus in on is from verse 36. When Jesus says, he says, do not fear only believe. Do not fear, only believe. And that phrase in the original language, only believe, it's in the present tense, okay? And so what it's saying is really, do not fear, keep believing. In the present, keep believing. Like, I I know you believed a year ago, I know you believed a month ago, I know you maybe believed an hour ago, but right now, in the present tense, only believe, keep believing. Do not fear, keep believing. Do not fear, keep believing. And I sense that I will not be able to say that to you enough this morning. Because listen, I need to hear that. We all need to hear that. We need to be speaking and sharing that with one another. Many of your friends and family need to hear that. And so church this morning, we're going to make sure that it's a little interactive, okay? So in an attempt to loosen you up a little bit and get you ready to be participants in the preaching and receiving of the word, I'm going to ask you to turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, go ahead, do not fear, keep believing. Very good. It's okay to talk in church, guys. It's all right, okay? All right, so we're going to do this a few times. We're going to say, do not fear, keep believing. Believing. Hopeless situations are not so hopeless when Jesus shows up. He's already shown us in the book of Mark that he has the power and authority over creation, over the wind and the waves. He's already shown us that he has the power and authority over evil. And he's showing us through this story that he has the power and authority over death and disease. And get this, not only does he have the power Not only does he possess the power and the ability over these things, but he also possesses mercy and compassion. Because it's not as if he's a God who has all this power but doesn't really care about our hopeless situations. No, he has shown his great love and mercy for the disciples by calming the wind and the waves. He showed great mercy and compassion on the man who was possessed by evil by restoring him. He's shown great compassion to this woman who's been sick for 12 years. And now let's enter back in and see how he continues to show his great mercy and compassion and power. 
Power, that's right, power to help this desperate father. All right, no one's going to be able to sleep this morning, all right? You're going to be, I'm going to have you talking, and every now and then, boom, all right? All right, look with me now back at Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, verse 35. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house someone who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. This this father's situation has gone from bad to worse. He had come to Jesus knowing that his daughter was very, very sick, but he was hoping that Jesus could heal her. But now he hears that she has died, and the little hope that he did have is now on the verge of being lost completely. And look, he he had come to Jesus. He had humbly fallen at Jesus' feet and pleaded with him to come and heal his daughter. He was thinking, if I can just get Jesus there in time, then he can heal her. Like, if if, if Jesus could just get there in time. Uh, put, Put yourself in this father's situation for a moment, okay? If it was me, I would have been almost pulling and dragging Jesus to my house to heal my kid. Right? There would have been this sense of urgency about him to get Jesus to the house in time. But then in our story, this woman enters onto the scene, gets healed by Jesus, and Jesus stops to have a dialogue with her. I mean, think about how this father has to be feeling in this moment while Jesus is talking with this woman and stopping and dialoguing and all these, all these things. I mean, the father has got to be thinking, Jesus... Every second counts here, like, please, let's go. This woman's been sick for 12 years. She can wait a couple more hours, but my daughter, she she can't wait any longer. She needs you right now. And then he gets the news that every parent dreads hearing. His child has died. Jesus was too late. He tried to get him there in time, but he was too late. And Jesus speaks into this situation. I'm sure this man was wrestling with these things in his mind, thinking that Jesus was too late. He didn't get him there in time. Jesus says, do not fear. Keep believing. And church, what I'd like to do this morning is apply the do not fear, keep believing to a few specific things that we cannot fear but keep believing that we learn from this text, okay? And so the first one is this. Do not fear when God's timing is not your timing. Keep believing that his timing is perfect, okay? Do not fear when God's timing is not your timing. Keep believing that his timing is perfect, Think about it. Have you ever had a situation where you thought God showed up late? I mean, have you ever been in a situation where you have become bitter because if God would have just shown up just a little earlier, he could have done something about it. I mean, you begged and pleaded with the Lord for him to intervene, for him to do something, and it seemed like he was just taking his sweet time. He wasn't in the same rush that you were in. I mean, if he would have just healed someone before they got really sick, if he would have intervened in a relationship before it got really bad, 
If he would have saved someone before their sin really hardened their hearts. If he would have stopped that disaster before it really took all those people's lives. I mean, there are so many times we can be frustrated with God because he's not cooperating with our timetable. We have our little timetable when things we think should happen, when God should move and work, and when he doesn't, we can start to fear that he is too late. Like according to my watch, God, you are late, right? I mean, you were supposed to be back on Y2K. Like what happened there, right? It's been 18 years. What's the deal? He's late. Some of you guys remember Y2K. Kids, ask your parents about Y2K. It was awesome. All right. <clears throat> so a few years ago, Britt and I, we were traveling for a wedding, and we were, it was up in northwestern Indiana in the Valparaiso area, I think, and uh, they were friends from college. We weren't real close friends with them, so we weren't in the wedding, but, but we were invited to go to the wedding, and so we were going to make a day trip of it to, to travel up there for the wedding and then come back home to Indy. But we were running late. We were running late. Now, I forget all the details, and we won't point any fingers about why we were running late, but in all honesty, it was probably me. I was probably working on some dance moves for the reception or something like that. I can very much see that happening. Uh, but we were running late, so we were driving fast. We were trying to get there in time because nothing's worse than getting to a wedding late when you walk in and the bride's walking in at the same time, and it's kind of awkward, right? You don't, you don't want to be that, those people, okay? So we're trying to get there on time. We, we, we quickly kind of pull into the parking lot, get out of the car, but then when we get out of the car, we notice something kind of feels a little off. The parking lot is a little empty, we walk into the building, like we check the date, like is this the right date, like is this the right time, we check our watches, okay, it's the right time, it's the right date, what's going on? We awkwardly walk in and we see people kind of setting up and like, did we miss it or what's going on? They're like, oh, you're, you're an hour early to the wedding. You see, in Northwest Indiana, they do something ridiculous where they, in an act of rebellion against the rest of the state, they are on central time, not eastern time, okay? Which, that's, that's crazy to me. I don't, I don't know how we've allowed this as a society, but in Indiana, there are people not on our same time zone, okay? Now, it's crazy, but it actually saved us. So instead of being, you know, 15, 20 minutes late, we were like 45 minutes early, all right? But because their time was not our time, what did we have to do? We had to wait. We had to wait. Their time was not our time, and so we had to wait. Now listen, God is not just in a, a one-hour you know, time zone off from you. He's not one hour ahead and just one hour behind. He's completely in another time zone realm altogether. He's outside of time. Now, now he entered into time for a time, right? But, but ultimately, he controls time, he sees all time, and he has appointed a time for all things. But when our timing is not the same as God's timing, we often have to wait. And waiting's hard. I mean, anyone ask God for something or feel like God has called you to something, but his timing is not your timing, and so you just have to wait. Now listen, the waiting is not wasted at all. God is actually doing a lot in your heart and in your life in that waiting period. But God's timing is perfect. Ours is not. 
God's timing is perfect. Our timing is not. Our timing stinks. I've seen you all try to get to church on time. Our timing is not good. God's timing is perfect. I mean, think about it. Any, anyone have something that, that they really wanted really badly, they really wanted to happen. God's timing was not your timing, but now, and so that didn't happen, and now in hindsight, you look back on it, and you say, man, praise God he did not allow that thing to happen, right? I mean, God's timing is perfect. Jesus' timing was not the same timing as this desperate father, okay? And this desperate father had to wait. He had to wait, and in the waiting, in the waiting, Jesus says, Fear not. Keep believing. Keep believing. You see, if Jesus had gotten there when this father wanted him to get there, he would have only been thankful that he had gotten Jesus there in time. Instead, God had something better in mind because instead he now gets to marvel at seeing who Jesus truly was that he wasn't just another healer, he was a resurrector. He wasn't just another miracle worker, he was God in the flesh, the giver of life. God's timing is perfect. So church, do not fear when God's timing is not your timing. Keep believing that his timing is perfect. We're gonna try this again. Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, do not fear when God's timing is not your timing. Keep believing that his timing is perfect. Good. They're not all that long, so you guys will do, you do well. Okay. Uh, Psalm 27, verse 14 says this. Psalm 27, verse 14, it says, Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. I mean, think about this father, right? Hurry, Jesus, please. She's dying. She's almost out of time. Th think about your life. Like, God, hurry. Wh where were you? God, why didn't you come sooner? Why didn't you intervene sooner? Why don't you return and restore all things now? And God says, wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage and wait for the Lord. Church, do not fear when God's timing is not your timing. Keep believing that his timing is perfect. Now, moving on, not, not only could Jesus not getting there in time cause Jairus to fear, but now the uncertainty of life has surrounded this father. I mean, I can't imagine losing a child. I really don't even like to, I, I can't even handle briefly thinking about that. But just think about what this would be like for this father to hear the news that his daughter has died. Think about that for a sec. I'm sure he felt surrounded by uncertainty. I'm sure he was uncertain as to how life could go on after this. He was probably uncertain as to how this would affect his, his wife and his marriage and, and, and the, family, the family's life. Like, how, how would this affect all of that? 
I'm sure he felt uncertain if he really did all he could have done to have helped her and healed her. I'm sure he felt uncertain as to just how to even grieve the loss of a child. Like, how do I get over this? How do I work through this? And I'm sure then he felt uncertain as to why Jesus had taken his time getting there. Uncertainty was surrounding him, like sharks circling their prey. It was all around him. And maybe some of you can relate to this this morning when life seems so overwhelming because uncertainty starts to surround you that you feel like you could be devoured and drowned by it. The first thing we said not to fear but believe was do not fear when God's timing is not your timing. Keep believing that his timing is perfect. Our second thing is this, okay? Do not fear the uncertainty of life. Keep believing your future is certain. Do not fear the uncertainty of life. Keep believing your future is certain. One of the most difficult seasons in my own life and in our our marriage was when uh, our oldest son, Jackson, was born. Jackson was born right after I'd finished grad school and right when I started my job in the emergency department. And it was like all of a sudden I went from being a a student and and just a husband, you know, with no children, to now uh, kind of a lot of responsibility at work and, and now being a father at home. And and all of a sudden, I started to feel surrounded by just all this uncertainty and all this insecurity, and my life just felt very overwhelming, and it was crushing to me. I mean, I had gone most of my life up until that point as being a student, and I know everyone's different, but I kind of actually enjoyed being a student, like it was something I felt comfortable in. I liked the, the, you know, just the routine of, I know I go to class, I study, I take a test. You knew what each day was going to bring. You knew what each semester was going to bring. It was kind of all planned and mapped out for you. I felt comfortable in that. Britt and I were at the point where we felt comfortable in our marriage. We had a good marriage. We kind of had our routines down and things down. And I went from all of a sudden kind of having a semester at a time planned out to now not even knowing in the next five minutes what was going to come through those emergency department doors, not knowing what each day was going to be like, and definitely at home having no idea what to do as a father. (laughs) And really the uncertainty and the inadequacy of life paralyzed me I felt the the crushing just weight of anxiety and some despair, and I was just uncertain. I was uncertain. And maybe some of you guys can, can relate to this. You've had times in life where the uncertainty of life is just circling around you and causing you to be paralyzed in fear. It's maybe causing you to be crushed in anxiety. It's maybe causing you to sink down into despair. And so you see, church, this is the challenge that Jairus, this father, is facing, that Jesus is speaking into. Uncertainty is surrounding him. Fear could consume him. But Jesus speaks into this and says, do not fear. Keep believing. Keep believing. Because you see, when you and I are surrounded by the uncertainty and ever-changing things of life, It is in those times we must cling to the never-changing truths of God. It is in those times we must hold fast to the things that we can be certain about. 
And church, God in his goodness, he's given us a whole book of things we can be certain about. Church, there's going to be a lot in your life that change and uncertainty is going to be all around. Life's always going to change every day, every month, every year. But listen, God will not change. Our God is an unchanging God. He's the same today as he was yesterday, and he'll be the same tomorrow. And all of his promises that he writes to us, to his people, they all come true. And he is faithful, even when we are faithless. And so my encouragement to you this morning is not to avoid the waters of uncertainty. It's not to avoid all the changing things of life. I don't think even if you tried your, your best, you could actually do that. But my challenge to you is in those times to keep believing that your future is certain. Keep believing that all the promises of God come true. Keep believing that God is faithful to keep his word. And then go cling to some verses that explain the certainty of your future. For example, verses like Philippians 1.6, which says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And maybe a verse like Romans 8.28, which says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Or maybe verses like Matthew 6, 31 and 33, which says, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek the kingdom of God. Seek the rule and reign of Christ in your life. And all this other stuff is going to be taken care of. Do not fear. Keep believing. Keep believing this good word. We'll try this again. Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, do not fear the uncertainty of life. Keep believing your future is certain. All right, you guys are getting, I don't, I don't know if you're getting better, but it's, it's good. Look back at Mark 5, verse 37. Mark 5, verse 37. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know of this and told them to give her something to eat. Even though they hear that this girl has already died, Jesus continues on to the house. 
And there was a loud commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. They were mourning the loss of this little girl. And I'm sure many friends and family were there surrounding them. But, but listen, not only were their friends and family there, in this culture, um, they would also have like professional mourners, okay? Pretty much like Debbie Downers that made a career of it, right? Like, like they, these people would be, be hired to come to funerals when, when someone had passed away. And so the rabbis taught that you had to, at minimum, at minimum, when someone died, you had to hire two flute players and at least one female wailer, okay? That was like the rabbi's teaching, right? If someone died, you had to have two flute players and one female wailer. And not, not like a wailer, like someone who catches whales, but someone like uh, W-A-I-L, you guys got it? Like the crying, screaming, mourning, streaking, okay? Those were what you would have to have. <laughs> that was some great wailing there. That was good. Uh, that is what you would have to have when someone died. So not only were friends and family making a loud commotion, but, but being the ruler of the synagogue, there was probably a decent amount of just professional mourners there as well, making this loud commotion that this girl had passed away. And so a lot of the people that were there had probably been around a lot of people that had died. They had been at a lot of funerals. These were like pros, okay? And in all their past experiences, all their past experiences would lead them to believe that, that when someone dies, they stay dead, right? Like they've got experience. They, they know how this thing works. When someone dies, they stay dead. And so when Jesus shows up, they kind of laugh at him thinking like, hey, hey, I, this guy, we're skeptical he's going to be able to do anything. I don't know what's going on. Why would you even bother him? Like, they laugh at Jesus. Jesus puts them all outside. You see, people had told the Father, don't, don't even bother the teacher anymore with this. Don't, don't, even, don't even bother Jesus anymore. The girl has already died. They were essentially saying, don't, don't bother with it. Don't bother it with it. They were saying, Jesus won't be enough for this. You see, Jairus was looking for a healing. This father was looking for a healing. But his girl died. And now Jesus wouldn't be enough for this. Don't even bother. But Jesus, as he often does, he shows this desperate father that he is more than enough. And he is all he needs. You see, you see, Jairus came looking for a healing, but instead he got a resurrection. And oh church, you see, the same is true for us as well. Many of us, we came to Jesus looking for a healing, right? We, we were looking for God to just kind of fix us up a little bit, maybe, maybe help our relationships, maybe fix our marriage, maybe help us raise our kids. We just maybe need, needed Jesus to do a little work on us here, a little work on us there, but we just really needed him to kind of fix us up. But then we encountered him. And when we encountered the true and living God in his goodness and graciousness to us, he revealed to us that we did not just need to be healed. We needed to be raised to life. Church, when Jesus saves you, when he gives you faith, when you receive his gift of salvation, he resurrects you. You and your rebellion and sin against God, which we all have walked in that, every one of us, we were dead in our sins. But Ephesians 2, 4 through 5 says, but God, one of the most beautiful phrases in the Bible, but God, 
being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. If you have trusted Jesus, listen, you have trusted Jesus to raise you from the dead. If you have trusted Jesus to raise you from the dead, he can be trusted with everything else in life. He can. He is more than enough. He is all that we need. So church, here's our next point. Church, do not fear that Jesus isn't enough. Keep believing he's all you need. Do not fear that Jesus isn't enough. Keep believing that he's all you need. Okay, turn to your neighbor. Say, neighbor. Do not fear that Jesus isn't enough. Keep believing he's all you need. He's all you need. He's all you need. And listen, we are just scratching the surface of encountering the glory of God. We are. Like Jesus completely blows out of the water any, any you know, uh, uh, thought that this Jairus had about Jesus, right? He totally exceeds any expectations that they had upon him. They were thinking maybe at best he could come heal, but Jesus actually comes and resurrects. So Jesus just blows their mind, blows their expectations out of the water. And listen, he does that to us as well, okay? We, we come to God with a little bit of faith and seeing that he is, he is pretty good, but as you grow and as you learn more about him, as you experience more of him, he just continually, every day, every week, every year, he keeps exceeding your wildest expectations. Jairus came hoping that he could just heal his daughter. And his expectations, his faith in the ability of Jesus, it just gets blown out of the water. Because not only can Jesus heal, he can also resurrect. He can bring life to the dead. Jesus totally exceeds any expectations we put on him. I've got the best job in the world because I can hype God to you as much as I possibly can. And I know when he shows up and you see him for as he truly is, you are not going to be disappointed. You're going to say, man, what was my pastor? My pastor like barely said anything about how great and glorious this God is. He has totally exceeded my expectations. And so, church, let me admit something to you this morning. When I first started preaching to you last September, I became a little feel fearful after that first sermon because I felt like I had poured out everything that I knew or had experienced about God to you, okay? I, I feel like we're, we're enough removed, I can admit that to you. After the first week of preaching, I thought, oh my goodness, what in the world am I going to preach about week two? All I had was week one. I gave it all, Right? But the cool thing about God and the cool thing about every Christian is that as you continue to learn more about God, as you continue to experience more of God, as you continue to follow Jesus longer, he just continually and continually and continually exceeds everything you knew, you thought you knew about him. 
And so after preaching week one, I got back in the word, I got back in prayer, and I was excited to come back for week two because I was like, hey, week one, I told you that God is good, but listen, he is really good, right? And then I got back in the word and I got back in prayer and I was excited to come back for week three because I was like, you know, last week I told you he was really good, but he's actually really, really good. And so we'll just continue on for however long God would give me to preach to you all that each week I hope that you are beholding a little bit more of his glory and you are seeing that he's even sweeter than you thought he was. He's even better than you had hoped he would be. He's even more powerful than you could have ever imagined. I'm telling you, this God that we serve, this Jesus who saved us, he's better than anything or anyone that we could have hoped for. He's more than enough, and he's all that we need. Philippians 4.19, it says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Every need of ours will be supplied in Christ. So church, do not fear that Jesus isn't enough. Keep believing he's all you need. And listen, church, he's all you need because he can do what no one else can do. And some of you need to hear this this morning. Some of you need to hear that Jesus is all you need because we are quick to forget. But listen, Jesus is all we need is because Jesus can do some things that no one else can do. Jesus can heal any sickness. He can. Jesus can mend any marriage. Jesus can uplift any despair. Jesus can refresh the overwhelmed. Jesus can forgive the unforgivable. He can love the unlovable. He can be a father to the fatherless. He can be a husband to the widow. He can sustain the weary. He can heal the hurting. He can uproot any bitterness in your heart. He can bring courage to the coward. He can bring hope to the hopeless, faith to the faithless, joy to the joyless, and he brings life to the lifeless. Now, this is easy to preach. It's harder to believe, okay? But we've got to believe it. We've got to believe it that he is all we need. He is more than enough. You see, the, the world is going to tell you that he isn't enough. The world is going to tell you that you need something else to really enjoy life. That you need more money or that you need more things or that you need a better husband or wife or that you need more friends or that you need a better house or that you need a nicer car or that you need more power, that you need more recognition, that you need more control. And the world was telling Jairus that Jesus wasn't going to be enough for this situation. But you see, it doesn't really matter what your circumstances are telling you or what your sick or hurting body is telling you or what the enemy is telling you 
or what someone who's living in sin is telling you, or even it doesn't really matter that much what you are telling yourself. All those things might be telling you something, but the real question is, what is God telling you? Disease had told this little girl to die. Jesus shows up and says, little girl, I say to you, arise. Which leads us to our fourth point. I think it's the last point. I kind of forget. I think there's just four. Do not fear what the world is telling you. Keep believing what God has told you. Do not fear what the world is telling you. Keep believing what God has told you. Church, this will be the last time this morning, okay? Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor. Do not fear what the world is telling you. Keep believing what God has told you. Listen, this is, this is why followers of Jesus sometimes look so strange to the world, okay? I mean, some of us look awkward to the world because we're just awkward looking, okay? That is a, a reality, all right? But, but Christians in general, we look different or distinct to the world because, because we are listening to what God has told us, not what the world is telling us. And the best I can compare it to it's like a silent disco party, okay? There's probably better comparisons, but I didn't have a lot of time, so we're gonna go with silent disco party. Have you guys heard these? Have you guys, well, you can't hear these, they're silent, but have you heard, have you heard about them, a silent disco? I've never, I've never been to one, but I've, I've just read about them, okay? What these are is that uh, everyone kind of shows up to, to a, a dance party or a club, but instead of the music playing over the, the loudspeakers, everyone wears wireless headphones. Okay, and so everyone's kind of tuned in to the same song and everyone's listening to the same thing, dancing to the same beat. And if you have headphones on, it seems very normal. Everyone's dancing like you'd expect at any party because you're hearing the music. It's not weird to dance. But if you don't have headphones on and you're standing in that room, you've got to be thinking, oh, my goodness, what is going on? Right? These people are moving all this way. Like, what, what is happening? It's completely silent, and everyone's, like, dancing and, and, and flailing around. Like, what is happening? It can be very weird if you're not hearing the music. It can be very weird when you're not hearing the music. Listen, people that keep believing what God has told them, people that listen to the word of God and obey what it says, these are like the people who are hearing the music. And it's the music that the world knows nothing about. Followers of Jesus hear a song that the world knows nothing about. And so listen, we don't try to be different and weird as Christians just for the sake of being different and weird, okay? But we are distinct because when we hear the songs that God is singing over us, we step and move to the rhythm of his song. We follow the words as they direct us. And listen, every week, I'm trying to help you hear the music a little bit more. I'm trying to help you hear the word a little bit more clearly and with a little bit more joy, 
And I'm trying to, you know, just loosen up some of the awkward dance moves that you guys have, right? You know, just trying to get there, to hear the music, the song that God is singing, to understand his word, to enjoy his word, and to step in rhythm with how God has designed that life should be lived. Now, here's the exciting thing. As God's word is proclaimed, more and more people are waking up and hearing the music. The city of Franklin, you guys come out tonight at 6 p.m. Listen, the city of Franklin is waking up and hearing more and more of the word of God, and they're responding to it. And our desire is for more and more people to be awakened to the words of God, for them to hear the music that God is singing over them, for them to delight to live in it and to follow the rhythm that God has set for them. So may we be a people who are distinct from the world, not for the sake of being different or distinct, but because we care more about what God has told us than what the world is telling us. Let me summarize and kind of close our sermon this morning. Do not fear, keep believing. And you guys really did do a good job talking back and forth. It was good, okay. Church, do not fear when God's timing is not your timing. Keep believing that his timing is perfect. Number two, church, do not fear the uncertainty of life. Keep believing your future is certain. Number three, church, do not fear that Jesus isn't enough. Keep believing he's all you need. And number four, church, do not fear what the world is telling you. Keep believing what God has told you. Let's pray. I ask you to bow your heads. And I'm gonna pray a prayer over us and then I'm gonna read some scripture over you all as well. Father, we ask that you would help us believe what was preached this morning. God, it's, it's, these are things that are easy to preach, but much harder to believe, much harder to, to live out, God. We, we are prone to fear. We are prone to worry. We are prone to, to be uncertain with life. So God, may these words resound in us, in our hearts. Would they be a seed that grow exponential fruit in us, God? And when your timing isn't our timing, and when we're surrounded by the uncertainty of life, and when we think that you aren't enough, and we listen to what the world is telling us, God, would you please help us not to fear, but to keep believing. Strengthen our faith. Followers of Jesus, with your heads bowed, listen to these words from Isaiah 43. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. 
When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One. You are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. Fear not, for I am with you. May we believe that this morning, oh God. In Jesus' name, amen.